I'm Jeff Cohen. Jackie Danicki is a business consultant freelance journalist. Her writing has been featured in Fortune, Forbes, Advertising Age, and the New York Observer. Her path to success has been intertwined with her unusual and fascinating path to Torah Judaism. And Jackie's here today to tell her story. Welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thanks so much for having me. So there's a lot to get to just from the intro, and I'm, I'm sure your story is going to unfold as we continue to talk, but let's take it from the top and give me a sense of where you were born and raised. Uh, I was born in Ohio into a family with generations of Catholicism <laughs> and mostly grew up in the countryside, middle of nowhere, a small rural community. Less, there were less than 100 kids in my graduating high school class, never to my knowledge met a Jew until I was a teenager. You know, if somebody can come from my background and end up where I am, anybody can, I would say. So going back to like the earlier parts of your childhood, what were some of the customs or things your family was doing? Were they going to church? Were there certain holidays that you were regularly participating in? Well, I will say one thing I'm really grateful for is that my parents always talked to me about God. It's one of the things that I'm increasingly grateful for as I got older, that I never had to struggle with a concept. It was never new to me. It was just something that I was raised hearing about. And, you know, we celebrated all the holidays, the big ones that people know of culturally. And I would say my my parents were more adventurous, I suppose. They did take us to other kinds of churches sometimes that weren't Catholic. So it was a good example for me to do that. But there was no other option or game in town. It was... It was uh, put it this way, they weren't going to start taking us to to mosques or to a Mormon temple or anything like that. It was very much focused on the dominant cultural religion. And you said it wasn't until your teen years that you met like a Jewish person, but did you know anything about Judaism or have thoughts about it prior to meeting your first Jewish person? I did have thoughts. I was very curious about it. My first kind of awareness was when I was around kindergarten age, somebody had bought me a set of children's illustrated Christian Bibles, multi-volume, and I was very fixated on the story of, you know, Moshe and the Israelites and having a strong feeling of, these are the kind of people I want to be like. There were so many trials, for to use a very simple term, there were so many things that the Jewish people went through, and... So many times when, you know, it would have been like, yeah, these people are all over. They don't exist anymore, you know. And and I, I was just, I had this sense that these were people worth paying attention to. I remember asking about Jews, and my parents didn't know any Jews either, so <laughs> they didn't have any questions. It, it wasn't like, you know, a lot of people grow up hearing really nasty things about Jews, especially, you know, in a certain religious context. And I never, I never heard that. I knew about you know, the Holocaust, but I didn't know anything about <laughs> what I know now <laughs> of like so many people just really, really don't like Jews. And that's been the case since time immemorial. But um, my first knowledge of Jews was just like, wow, these are survivors. You know, when you're a little kid, you don't know what that means, but I can only look back and, and just think of why did that make such an impression on me? But it did. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you, because the way you're describing your reaction to reading some of these things sounds like something a person who's maybe 12, 13, 14 would be thinking about, and you're doing this at age five or six, but like you said, you're not reading it in terms of, oh, maybe I should convert, or maybe this is the right way to go. It's just, like you said, a group you wanted to pay attention to and you thought was important historically, 
But when you were talking about it with your family, I'm guessing there wasn't like tension in terms of, are we on the right path, mommy? And, and should we be going in a different direction? It would have been more than my life is worth to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was um, another thing I'm grateful for. You know, my mother took me to the library from the time I was very, very young and, and let me read, check out any books I wanted. So I was allowed to really explore things. And I mean, people, adults don't, can't even wrap their brains around what Jews are. Is it a nation? Is it a people? Is it a religion? Is it like all these things? So I definitely didn't have any sense of what conversion was or anything like that. I just was fascinated. Okay. And then you mentioned that you had met your first Jewish person when you were in the teen years. Did you go to like a public high school? Maybe there was like a, a greater mix of people. Is that how you came across Jewish people for the first <laughs> time or in another way? It was a doctor. I had a doctor's appointment and I saw the name and I was like, oh, <laughs> I, think, I think it's a Jew. I'm so excited. Uh, so that was Did it. Did you bring was... your book with you to show him? <laughs> no, I, I think I had outgrown that, that book at that time. But um, it definitely made an impression on me to see a Jew in my, and it wasn't even in my town. It was, you know, in Columbus, 50 miles away, mm -hmm. the big city. <laughs> right. Um, so it, it yeah, it was just the little things that you remember looking back. And I didn't even have a particularly great experience with that doctor, to be honest with you. So despite that, <laughs> um, it made an impression on me. You said it wasn't a great experience. I think it's important for us to say it was his doctor skills, not the fact that he was Jewish. Yes. Unless I have it wrong. No, I was, you know, 16 years old. It was the first time going into a doctor's appointment without one of my parents, like by my side. And, you know, I think I was nervous and it was my fault. I was... I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, at least at that age, when there was an encounter with somebody and it wasn't great, I just assumed it was me. <laughs> so I didn't really think it was anything about the doctor. Okay. So then you go through the high school years. I guess you're starting to think about what you want to be and where you want to go to college. So let, like, let's go into that part of your life now. How did you pick where you went to college and what you wanted to study? Well, the short version is that I'd been looking at college catalogs since I was in middle school. Like I could not wait to go away to college. And then... In my, I would say like 10th, 11th, 12th grade years, my parents were getting divorced and it was a very kind of, you know, for any family, it's a tumultuous time. And I have a brother who was three years younger and he was still in high school. And my first thought was, let me just go to school close to home so that it's, you know, it's not such a big, so I did. I, and I started going to college and was very bored by it. So I was keen to start working. So when I was 1920, I actually went to the UK for what I thought would be a month or two of vacation. And this is 1998, so I don't, the details are not so uh, vivid to me now, but I was able to start working in, in tech startups there. And it was the first dot-com boom when, you know, it costs a lot more to start a startup than it does now. And the internet was such a brand new thing. And I started working in tech startups there and really loved working, made great friends through my work, had a lot of adventures. Like I was able to, you know, work, I worked in Switzerland, I worked in the UK, I was able to travel a lot. And before I knew it, 10 years had passed by and I was still there. So when I decided I wanted to move back to the States, my dad said, you're going to have to go back to school and finish your bachelor's degree. And I was like, that's not really how it works anymore, at least not in the kind of tech industry that I was in. 
so yeah, it was. It, I always thought that I would uh, maybe stay in college for my whole life because I just love learning. But in the end, what I really needed to do was find out who I was, what I liked to do, make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> so I had that time to do that. I did not make my transition to the UK in the most graceful way. I think I went and didn't tell my parents mm-hmm. that I was going. That's a pretty big move without saying anything. It is. I, I knew that they would try to stop me, <laughs> but I don't fault them at all. I don't think it's funny that I did it, but I look back and I'm like, I get why I did it that way. And maybe that's the way it had to be, but we're all good now, but I wouldn't joke about it with my, <laughs> with my family. What role is religion playing in your life during those 10 years? I don't have any memories of going to church or anything like that. I married a British guy who was not Jewish and also a hardcore atheist. So when I got married, it wasn't, there was nothing religious. It wasn't in a church. You know, it was an ongoing relationship. Um, And at the same time, gravitating towards Jews when I met them, because in the UK there were more. But I would say that I was more wrapped up in myself at that time. You know, I was young, I was working in this kind of hot industry and you know, tech startups and, and it's a very social industry. So it was like five nights a week, parties and industry events and things like that and traveling, not thinking about anything religious and just kind of thinking that I was going under my own steam. Looking back on it, I think that I had to go through those years of, let's just call it a drought, in terms of like a spiritual drought. I had to get thirsty. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would, you know, I always say like if I had been raised in a Jewish home, maybe I would have ran in the other direction. I don't know. But for me, I had to come to it by thinking and feeling this is my only option because this is the only thing that seems right to me. So I like how you just said I had to come to it because I would think if someone's listening to the interview up to this point, they're saying, I don't see the opening yet, how the way this person has described their background, they're going to become an observant Jew. Like you don't yet see the <laughs> inkling from the things that you've said. So was it something going on in the UK? Like you mentioned, you started meeting more Jewish people or is it start when you come back to the United States after that 10 year period? What's that first opening where Judaism becomes a bigger piece of your story? So this happened while I was living in the UK, there is somebody who's become a very, very close friend of mine, Robert Abrach. He is rabbi's son from, from birth. Uh, he's a, he's a screen, Hollywood screenwriter, producer, and he and his wife, Karen, who was Nifter almost a year ago now, they had a son, Ariel, who passed away in July of 2003. And we had some friends in common, and I read some essays that Robert wrote for the Jewish press about Ariel after he passed away, and was very moved. And I I sent him and his wife a condolence email, and somehow in those back and forth of the emails, I mentioned to Robert that, you know, I've always been fascinated by Judaism and Jews, and uh, shortly thereafter, his daughter was in London with some of her friends from college and they went to their hotel and their hotel said, we don't have a room for you. So Robert called me in the middle of the night and said, can my daughter and her two friends stay with you for a couple of weeks? And I said, yes. And then after that, he and his wife said, you have to come to LA, that's which is where they lived, so, to, so we can repay the 
you know, which I didn't think of it as anything I need to be repaying, but I did very much want to meet them because through exchanging the emails, I felt like there was a connection there with, with Robert and Karen. So in December of 2003 or 2004, I went to LA and met them and stayed with them. I was very, uh, frightened, I guess, because I knew they were observant, and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to put the wrong dish in the wrong sink, and they're going to have to bury everything before, you know, I was Wait, very... how did you even know, how would you even know that that would be an issue? I mean, I'd read, kind of, I was, I was a big reader, so I'd read a lot about, you know, kosher's and things like that. That said, when I look back, I'm still shocked at the things that I didn't know, <laughs> despite mm-hmm. my reading. So, I, you know, I went and stayed with them, and when I left, Robert sent me an email, and he said that Karen had said, oh, you know, she's just like mishpacha, like, you know, it's like, and he had explained to me what that meant. But while I was there with them, I asked them so many questions, you know, about observance and the details and, and they kind of answered with such patience every question that I had, you know, then treated me like family. So that made a huge impression on me. And, you know, without them, and it's, it's a very difficult thing because like, I wish, I wish that their son was still here. You know, I wish it, but it was because of Ariel's passing that we, you know, met each other. But it, it's a very tricky thing, and, and Robert understands that. He and I talk about it. It's just a very, it's a very unusual thing, and, and maybe I'll never understand it. I don't have to understand it, but it's definitely a gift for me to know their family. And I, I don't want to get too far ahead, but, you know, when I started my formal conversion process, Robert and Karen asked me, if I would take Ariel's name. And of course I said, yes. <laughs> I said, it has to be the second name because it's just way too much to live up to. Cause he was a real, you know, he would, uh, when Rabbi Etchalom in LA would go on vacation, he would take over his Daf Yomi Shir. And he wow. was, you know, in his, what even, even as a teenager. Wow. He was a real, he went to Nair Israel and he, unfortunately because of his health, they had to drop out, but he was just, they have notebooks after notebooks of his observations on learning and, and Torah and things like that. And so I've taken a lot of inspiration from him. And, and when I couldn't think of, you know, a first name, I remembered that Ariel had wanted to have five daughters and he had picked out their names. So I went to those five names and I picked one of those as my first Hebrew name. So both of my names come from Ariel. That's beautiful. Yeah. But, so I want to just reconcile two things that you've said in this interview, because I hear clearly that this family in Los Angeles is like lighting that spark for you. And now it's clear how you start to become more and more interested in Judaism. At the same time, you said you went to the UK and married a non-Jewish atheist. So how do those two stories reconcile with each other? So I got married when I was, I think it was the year 2000. So I was like 22 but I didn't, I wasn't married for very long, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. I mean, I'm not laughing because like, haha, divorce, but it seems like a lifetime ago. There was always a tension in me between what I would really want to have and what I thought was possible. I didn't see a path to becoming a Jew during my extremely nomadic life of crazy work and traveling. And I just kept reading and, you know, looking at things, but it just seemed like such a drastic step. I wasn't ready. You know, I had to go through more of life to be ready to take it seriously. So the marriage and divorce in the UK all happens before the California story happens. Okay, so now it all makes sense chronologically for our listeners. I'm glad we clarified that. Sometimes it doesn't even make chronologically make sense to to (laughs) me at this point, but that's, I think that's an age thing. Okay, so you have this experience with this family. 
and you clearly are very moved by it. But you also could just be like, this was great, and then go back to your life. But that's clearly not what happened. Like something from this family then leads to steps, and you you referenced conversion. So how do we get from this experience with this family to taking it so seriously that you might want to actually become Jewish? Between meeting Robert and Karen and, and then finally starting my formal process was about a decade. I think there was always a spark. And then when I met them, the spark, you know, was fanned a little bit. And then, you know, I went through a period where I was not super happy in my work. And I started doing more Jewish stuff. I had a friend that I would go to synagogue with. It was a conservative synagogue. But I went and I was, you know, kind of interested in what was going on. I had a sense that I would want to be in an Orthodox synagogue. I didn't know any, you know, apart from my friends in LA and, and their children who are on the East Coast, I didn't really know anybody. And, and when Robert and Karen would come from LA for, you know, Pesach or Sukkot, I would go and have meals with them at their daughter's house, but I would get an Uber there and get an Uber home. And, but I wasn't Jewish, so they were never expecting, you know what I'm saying? They never put any pressure on me. I remember at one point Robert said, we learned in yeshiva that some people are born into the wrong religion and I'd never met anybody like that until I met you. And Karen said, you know, don't say that, that's so much pressure on her. <laughs> but um, I, what happened is, is I had contacted a, a Orthodox rabbi somebody had referred me to who was known to do intro to Judaism classes. And when I contacted him, he said, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to do them because we don't have enough people right now. I'll let you know. And I was, okay, so there's no class there for me. At the time, I'm living in Jersey City. There was an Orthodox shul, but it was very small and very far away from where I lived. But I found a conservative shul in Hoboken whose rabbi um, gives intro to Judaism classes. And I talked to Robert and Karen about it, and they said, why don't you start with this, and you can see how you feel about it. And then if you feel like you want to move further down a path of service, then you, then you can. And for me, that was the right way to go. Because of the rabbi, um, Rabbi Scheinberg, who is an amazing, he and his wife, amazing family. And I told him from day one, and looking back, I think, oh gosh, how did that sound? But I said, you know, I have a feeling I'm gonna end up doing an Orthodox conversion. And he said, you should do the conversion that lets you hang out with the people you want to hang out with. And he hmm. never tried to dissuade me from, you know, going down a orthodox path at all. It was just like, yeah, you need to do what's right for you. And, um, but the intro to Judaism classes were really helpful, primarily because I started learning Hebrew then. That was part of it. And I started attending services. You know, it was, it was good for me. There's no machitza. There's, you know, they mentioned the matriarchs and things like that. But other than that, it gave me a really good grounding in davening and in the order of services. So I think if I had just gone right into an Orthodox shul, never having been to a shul, I would have felt very intimidated because I would have been like, okay, when do I stand up? When do I sit? Like I wouldn't have known. Whereas because of this, I never felt intimidated going into an Orthodox shul for that reason. I knew what to do. You know, I was lighting candles and I started keeping kosher. So it was, you know, and when I did start my Orthodox process, you know, my rabbi said to me, don't try to take on everything at once. He said, because I see it, it's easy come, easy go. And, and you don't want to set yourself up for being so overwhelmed that you crash and burn. 
you know, so many Jews ask me, like, why would you do this? Why would you do this? Why, don't you know everybody hates us? Don't you know it's, like, there's a lot, there's a lot involved, there's a lot of, and, and it's, the only thing I can liken it to is, you know, people have children knowing that having children is going to break their hearts repeatedly and it's gonna be hard and you're gonna worry and you're gonna have all this stuff to have to do and it's expensive and like you do it anyway. So, you know, the trade-offs were such that I did it, but I can say that I was only supported by the Jews that I met during my process. There's something unique about your story, the way that you're telling it, because I've interviewed some other converts on the podcast. A lot of times the story is that they had one conversion that was like quick from being not Jewish to reformed or conservative Judaism and they didn't even realize that there was like a whole different type of conversion if you wanted to become Orthodox and they had to do it again. And it was a much longer process. It seems like you were a lot more knowledgeable about the options when you were going into this, maybe because you were a little more mature and had had more experiences and had this family that was Orthodox. You knew more about the levels than most people would know at that stage. Yes. And I also knew a lot of Jews at this point. I had dated several Jews, which obviously when I got a little bit further along and I was like, oh, they wouldn't have been dating me if they were that religious, you know, it's right. like kind of that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like that played a big part in my progress. I think that the influences I needed were brought into my life when I needed them. But when it comes to the, you know, being aware of different levels and things like that, I was very aware, especially as a woman. I mean, now I'm 45. So I didn't finish my conversion until almost exactly a month before my 41st birthday. So yeah, I, I hope that I was somewhat more mature. <laughs> you know, and I would always say to women, like, if you're interested at all, and a lot of rabbis do send women, and I've had a couple of guys that they've sent to me, like by email intros, who are interested in converting. And I always say to the women, let's hope that you meet your basher and you get married and you have children. You don't ever want there to be a question around whether your children are legitimately Jewish. And I, I knew that although there's no such thing really as a universally accepted conversion because there's always going to be people that have opinions, I knew that having an orthodox conversion would mean being able to you know, marry a Jew, get married as a Jew in Israel, all these kind of things that I was conscious of. So I did know. I learned a lot from the people that I knew and also from just exploring on my own. And so what's the point as you're taking these classes and you're in a conservative shul and you've been advised, maybe you want to be conservative, maybe you'll want to be orthodox. Where's the point where you say, between these choices, I think this is the kind of conversion I want to have? In March of 2017, I kind of hit a wall with living in the New York area. I wanted to get out and move somewhere quieter. I had a close friend who had moved to Atlanta. And then I had Robert and Karen Abrach in LA. And so I thought, either I'll go to LA or I'll go to Atlanta. Bethany Mandel, who's a pretty outspoken person when it comes to a lot of things, um, and Garris, I, I, uh, we have a mutual friend who said, who I, who I said, yeah, I'm thinking about either going to LA or to Atlanta, and I'm, I gotta find a rabbi, and she said, oh, talk to Bethany, because Bethany has opinions, so. And Bethany said to me, the RCA set up a, kind of a, an overhaul of their Garus process and have a committee. And she was on this committee and she said, if I could do it all over again, I would go to Adam Starr in Atlanta. And so then I asked um, Rabbi Muskin in LA at Young Israel Century City, the Abrex rabbi, I said, 
what do you think of? And he said, absolutely. He said, I love Adam. You'll love Adam. You'll love learning with him. He'll be great for you. I, he's, I can't recommend him more. It was, you know, really strong. So like most rabbis are very hard to get hold of. They got a lot going on. Rabbi Starr in particular. But on that day, Bethany sent him an email, uh, sent us both an intro email. And he said, I'm at my desk for the next 45 minutes if you want to call me. And so I called him. Never again did I have such a lengthy conversation with Rabbi Star, <laughs> but that's fine. But so, and I said, he said, okay, well, after, you know, he asked me a lot of questions, of course. He said, okay, it sounds like you know what you're getting into. And he said, if you move here, then I'll work with you. I don't think he thought that I would have, you know, signed a lease on an apartment by the end of that week. And I was there by, by, May, so less than two months later. So, you know, people spoke so highly of the community. So it was very exciting to become part of the community. And so what was that part of it like? You're in Atlanta, you're getting, I guess, closer to the point of the official conversion. Are you going to the Orthodox shul and trying to become part of that community? Yes, I, I was, <laughs> even though every day wasn't fun, and I definitely had my share of like tears and, and feeling frustrated or feeling like things weren't going as quickly as I wanted them to go. I had like a fairy tale experience almost. The Atlanta community, the shul, which is Orhatora, at that time it was Young Israel of Toko Hills, but um, the shul community there is unbelievable, like nothing I've ever experienced. And I made some key friends who became like family to me. It's kind of a story of my life. Wherever I go, there are families that kind of take me uh, into the fold. Even though it was a booming shul in terms of growth, there was still lots of opportunity for me to get involved in things. And so I was at shul so much that I ended up moving into a house right behind shul. <laughs> because in Atlanta in the summer, it's nice to live as close to shul as you can. But I was living right behind the shul. I was at shul a lot. I went to every, it seemed like I went to every shear. I was, you know, when I, when I finished my conversion, people came up to me and said, you know, you're Jewish now. You don't come to shul on time. Because <laughs> I was always... <laughs> That's not good I advice. Was, they were cheesy, but it was like, I, you know, I love shul. I, you know, I was be there as close to nine o'clock at the start. And, you know, every kiddish holidays and between my community and the basin, like I had the best experience of anybody I know for a conversion. I was very nervous about my basin. And then I walked in and the head of the basin was... Um, Rabbi Kenneth Alman from uh, Young Israel of Flatbush. And he would fly down for, you know, based on meetings. And when I walked into the room, I felt instantly at ease. And I knew these people are on my side. They just want what's best for me. And so it was, it was incredible. It was a really wonderful process for me. Thank God. So the thing that I'm really wondering at this point is I know that you're doing this interview from New Jersey and the way that you're describing Atlanta with how beautiful the conversion process was and, and the community, is there a piece of your story that takes you from Atlanta back up to New Jersey? Oh, yes. But it's it's by Los Angeles. So Okay. Uh, yeah. So I moved to Los Angeles in November of 2019. For work? For something in technology? Like what you were doing that you described from your career? I love Atlanta, but there wasn't a lot for me there. I would love to move back to Atlanta at some point. Like, I really, really love it. But at that point, I felt like I needed to explore maybe other markets. And also, Robert and Karen were in LA. The idea of being able to go to their shul and be neighbors with them and see them was, like, really nice. So I went to LA, and it was right before COVID. You know, I was still freelancing. I was still working remotely. And 
it was very isolating because it's one thing to do that if after work you can go to a shir, go to a, you know, go out to dinner with your friends, have like that all went away. So it was very difficult for me. And I got a, a, a phone call from somebody who said, oh, this, you know, Orthodox school is looking for somebody to help out with. They were back in person. They needed some help. And so I went to work at this school for a couple of months helping out. And then the principal of uh, Haredi school in LA, girls school contacted me and, and said, I heard you really love kids. And, you're, and I said, yeah, but I don't, I don't have a teaching degree, so I'm sorry. And she's like, well, the most important thing is that you're able to teach the material and connect with the girls. It's not just about, do you have this credential? So I had to audition and things like that. But I started teaching fifth grade to like the most wonderful 10 and 11-year-old girls. I got so much from that. It wasn't going to be my forever place in a professional context. I'm in New Jersey now because the work that I do now, I, I kind of need to be close to the city. And so now that you've you had the conversion and you've mentioned these different moves that you've been making, are you feeling like part of the club? Like when you walk into a shul, are you feeling like, oh, they can tell that I'm a convert? Or do you think that they don't even notice and you're just like one of the people there? I feel like one of the club, but I also feel different. I think one of the issues is that if you don't have children in an Orthodox community, it can be very hard to fit in because so much is based around the kids and the kids' activities and the parents with the other parents and things like that. So I think that any difference I feel is more of like, oh, I'm, I'm here and I don't have any children. And it's so funny because even the kids will sometimes say to me, like, how many kids do you have? <laughs> I say zero. They're like, no kids. <laughs> like they just So I think I feel different, but it's not necessarily because I you know, wasn't born Jewish. I will say that uh, when I was still living in L.A., I was in a Nagila Pizza, which anybody that knows LA will know Nagila Pizza. And a teenage boy walked up to me and he said, excuse me, do you know where Ben Shapiro Dobbins? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, why do you ask? And he said, because I'm a big Ben Shapiro fan. You look like the kind of person who would know where he Dobbins. And I was like, wow, I, that's like the biggest compliment anybody can give me, right? I'm six feet tall. I have blonde hair. One of my friends told me once, I said, you know, I'm not really telling many people that I'm converting because everyone wants to know your story. And if I don't know them very well, it's awkward. And my friend looked at me and she's like, they know you're not Jewish. I said, why? And she said, you're six feet tall. You have blonde hair. You're like, you know, you don't have any family here. Like, it's kind of obvious. But not everybody realized. So you and I have in common that neither of us were born as an observant Jew, but it happens that I was born Jewish. And so for my journey was just basically you can go to an orthodox rabbi and say you know i want to take on more and like great come on in you're in like there's no conversion there's no process you have this whole road you have to go through so i think sometimes jewish people view it as wow like look how committed this person really is that they they went through all this and they never had to do that either because they were born into it or they became religious but there weren't there was no base in they had to go to anybody to like stamp them as part of the club so it's a completely different experience Yes, and I, I understand that. I really see my conversion process as like a, a real gift. It was definitely one of the best times of my life. And I don't think I realized it until maybe halfway through. Because <laughs> there's a big difference between doing things because you want to and then being obligated. Once you take that trip to the mikvah, it's no longer like, wow, you're keeping kashrus? Like, wow, you're, you're supposed to keep kashrus. <laughs> like, you know, and there have been people 
who have said to me, and I think they thought I would agree with them, they said, you know, oh, it's so terrible that you have to go through this long process. Like, you obviously, you really want to do this. You feel very strongly about it. Why should it be so hard? And, and it's like, it's really for the convert's best interest to know what you're getting into. And so, you know, the fact that it's standard to, you know, living at least a full Jewish calendar year in a Jewish community, becoming part of the community, I think it's a kindness to to let people test the boundaries of their willingness. And again, I was very fortunate because I know a lot of converts that did not have a sponsoring rabbi that was as sensitive and helpful as mine and or didn't have, you know, a based in that they had a great experience with. So I'm I feel very fortunate in that regard. And so before we close the interview with the lightning round, I'm going to ask you some fast questions. I want to delve into one last piece of your story, okay, which is family. Uh, We haven't talked about your family since the beginning of the interview and how they might have thought about this whole process that you went through. And also, while we're talking about family, you mentioned marriage and divorce from when you were in the UK. And I'm curious about the feeling of being a convert and saying, now maybe I want to meet a a Jewish person and, and how easy or hard it is. Because I'm seeing in in my own life, I thought when I was growing up, because I was secular, the goal was just like my parents, like marry someone Jewish would be great. It didn't matter like what level they were. And now that I've been through these levels to get to Orthodox Judaism, I'm learning that sometimes people who are at that level have very strong opinions about what they consider being with someone who's either a convert or wasn't raised religious, and they want someone who's like much closer to the background that they raised their kids. So it's kind of a two-part question, how your family reacted to this journey and what it was like you know, post-divorce and thinking, do I want to get back into a marriage at some point? And and what would it be like as a convert? How's that for a hardball question to close out the interview? <laughs> I, like, I, I thought we only had a limited amount of time. This is, <laughs> this All is right. Like thank a... you for joining us, Jackie. <laughs> um, no. So in terms of family, it is simple, but not easy. I never spoke to my family about what I was doing. I can only imagine how painful it would be for parents of any religion for their child to choose something different. And I just never wanted to make it more painful or uh, harder for them than it had to be. And I had no interest and still have no interest in debating anything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially with my parents. So you know, they came and they visited me when I first moved to Atlanta and they, they saw my home. They knew how I lived and about keeping kosher, and they showed up during Shavuos. And my dad was like, you know, it's 100 degrees in Atlanta, and he's like, get in the car. I was like, no, I'm good. I want to walk. He's like, what do you mean you want to walk? It's like so It's like, no, 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 I really prefer it. And there was some tension. My my stepmother asked me, you know, she saw women, you know, wearing shaytols, and she's like, oh, so are you? are you going to wear a wig someday? But we never talked about what I was doing and, and what it meant and what do I believe? Because I don't think it, that conversation at that time would have ended particularly well. So, you know, when I go to, to Ohio to see my parents, like I bring food with me. I remember one year I sent like a list of here things that I can make and, and bring. And you know, I ended up on the flight with a, with a brisket uh, in, a, in, a, in a cooler with the dry ice and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I think things are getting better than I thought. But, you know, it's a very, it's delicate. It's tricky. But in terms of getting remarried, yes. Like, I would love to do that. But I also 
Work has been very busy. These are not excuses, I'm just saying. What I've found more than anything that I'm struggling with right now is integrating Torah into my workday because it's very easy to get to, you know, Friday afternoon and be like, okay, now I have to make my transition and then like loving Shabbos so much. And then it's like, okay, say goodbye to all that for, for the next week. And, and really trying to bring as much of that into my daily life as I can, because I'm happier when I'm consciously thinking about, you know, Torah and mitzvahs. And, you know, for a man, there are many more obligations in terms of, you know, davening and things like that. And sometimes you, you just have, you have to stop because you have to go to that minion. So I'm trying to build those things into my day-to-day life. I hope that being part of a, you know, a Jewish family of my own in terms of, you know, getting remarried to somebody who has children probably, grandchildren probably uh, at my age um, and being part of that, um, I think it'll be great. And I'm, I'm going to start making the effort. <laughs> <laughs> I may be getting emails after this interview of people <laughs> wanting me to introduce you. So you have to tell oh. me what to say. Bezrat Hashem, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> So we close with a good advertisement uh, for me to be a matchmaker. So that's very helpful. Thank <laughs> you. I'll give you your uh, your percentage. Fair enough. So let's now go into the lightning round to close out the interview. I'm going to ask you a, a few questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So the first question, what's something that you would like Orthodox Jews to know when they come across a convert for the first time in their community and they're trying to understand how to build a relationship with them? Know that a convert has no blood Jewish family. They don't have the infrastructure that Jews often take for granted. There's not necessarily a default obvious place that they're going to go to for holidays or Shabbos. Converts need you. They need your hospitality, your invitations. If you're not in a place to invite people, just having a kind word and, and you know, people convert to be a Jew, not to be a convert. So um, I think, you know, be conscious of making sure that you're caring about that person, you know, they're an ashama, who they are, not just the label or the classification that it's easy to put them in. By the way, I'm glad you said that because that's not just for converts because my wife and I often talk about how the holidays are like the busiest time for our friends who have religious family. And for us, it's like the quietest time because we don't have any of these places to go. So you hear about all these different programs and going to visit family. And for us, we're like, oh, we would take an invite or two if we could get one because it's like a long holiday and we don't we don't have family to go to right and that's the part where like doing you know our own hishtadlis comes in of making sure we're making those connections and the reason why my time in atlanta was so successful is because i just was always at shul and i was always right. doing stuff and meeting people and i really put that in i don't think i've ever put in as much since <laughs> so maybe that has something to do with uh, the results but i but it is important to think about the fact that there are a lot of people that don't have that kind of safe, observant place to go for, for holidays and things. And second question, if you have someone who's listening to this interview who maybe is in the situation that you were in at the beginning, you know, maybe they're not Jewish and they're thinking about getting more involved, was there a particular book or a set of shirim or things that you might recommend that were like particularly helpful to you? There were several books, dozens, that I really enjoyed and, and got something out of. I would say if there was one book that I would recommend first, the name of the book is To Be a Jew, A Guide to Jewish Observance in Contemporary Life. It's Rabbi Chaim Halevi Donin, D-O-N-I-N. That book made a huge impression on me. Also just, you know, uh, I think the shirim from Rabbi Shays Taub, his website is soulwords, S-O-U-L-W-O-R-D-S.org. He has got 
hundreds of hours of shiram on every topic you can imagine. And he's very accessible and is a wonderful person. He and his wife have been great friends to me. So I highly recommend anything by Rabbi Taub. But I feel like once you start picking up some of these books, you, you find the rest of them because there's just no end of them. There's so many good Jewish books out there. For sure. And last question, your signature Shabbos dish, if I was to be invited to your Shabbos table? Um, you know, I don't, my signature dish, I think for a long time, was brownies with tahina. Um, Interesting. Which, it's not a main course unless you want it to be. <laughs> uh, but uh, I highly recommend that. You know, I did enter the Cholent competition at Shul in Atlanta uh-huh. one year, and I thought, I'm not going to win if I try to go with something traditional because these people are going to beat me with so much experience. <laughs> so I did a Tex-Mex Cholent, and I made you know, fresh salt. I, I won an award for like most creative slash most ingredients <laughs> used. Um, but I'm also just a big fan of like, I think the tahina brownies are probably the thing that I, I make most consistently. And then when it comes to main courses, there's just too many to list. All right. So Jackie, you are out of the lightning round and I want to thank you for joining me on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.